Wasn't that a blessing from the worship team today? Thank God. Thank God for that. You notice we had a new member in that worship team sung. Didn't he sound great? All right. Sam is still in our worship team, but he's going through recovery from his knee replacement surgery. So, Sung is right there for us. So, what a blessing. Shall we open this morning in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity we have to open your word publicly, freely in this place. And read it together and study it together. May you speak to our hearts through your word today, Lord. Please humble us before you today. Help us to realize you are all we want. You are all we need. You are all sufficiency to us, Lord. And we thank you that you're with us wherever we go. And we pray now that you will hide me behind the cross and that you will bring forth your word by the Holy Spirit to touch every heart in exactly the way it needs to be touched this morning. And we pray in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, everything in the kingdom of heaven is opposite of everything in the kingdom of this world. Everything. You look at it. You look out into the world, what the world considers important and what the world considers great and what the world considers success is exactly opposite of what God considers important, great and successful. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He came down to this world, came with a radical concept. That salvation is by grace through faith. And by accepting Him as our Lord and Savior, He has a new life for us. A great life for us to live. And He's going to then take us on a journey that's going to end in heaven. And that is such a blessing for each and every one of us. But you look at the world today and if you ask people out on the street and you take a a poll or so forth about what does it mean to be great in the world, you'd get answers like, well, you have to have power. People that are great are powerful people in the world. They appear on television and movies and they are in newspapers and on the internet. They're powerful people. They're successful people. They're rich people. They're people that have a lot of possessions. They're people that are famous. And you know, when you're great in this world, it's good for a while, but you notice it's fleeting. Greatness in the world is fleeting. You can be on top of the world like Tiger Woods was on the top of the world. He was winning money. He was winning tournaments. He was doing so well. And then all of a sudden, a car accident happened down in Florida and everything changed. Everything came out about who he was, the real Tiger Woods. And his life was affected. His marriage was affected. His whole career has been affected by that. Greatness is fleeting, isn't it? You look around today and people use the word great a lot for great men, great women, great players, great coaches, great actors, great writers. People are great in this world. But the kingdom of heaven is totally different. And the Lord Jesus taught us what real greatness is all about. And it's totally different from the things of this world. The title of our message today is Greatness in the Kingdom. Greatness in the Kingdom. What is it? that makes for greatness in the kingdom and in our lives as Christians. What does it mean? You know, the twelve disciples were very privileged men. The Lord Jesus Christ personally prayed for them. All night He spent in prayer to God. And He chose twelve of them. And they were with Him the whole time. 
But these men got a little bit proud, thinking, well, we're the chosen ones. We're the twelve disciples. We're with Jesus. And they started to talk among themselves, who's the greatest among us? Even while the Lord Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified for our sins, the disciples were debating, who's greatest among us? It's amazing. How about John and James's mother? They came to Jesus. She came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I've got a request for you. He said, fine, go ahead. What's your request? Oh, I want my sons to sit one on your left hand and one on your right hand in your kingdom. And the Lord probably wanted to really tell her, but he just said, (laughs) to sit on my right hand and to sit on my left hand is given by the Father in heaven. And so he didn't scold her or anything like that. But it just goes to show our human hearts are so proud and we can think that way that we want to be great. We want to be first place. We want to be the top people. But the Lord was so patient when He taught people. So patient, so humble. And He gave the secret to greatness. And there's three key points that we're going to look at today. Number one, greatness is in humility. Number one. Number two, greatness is in serving others. And number three, greatness is in obedience to the Word of God. Now, isn't that different than the world concept of greatness? The world is talking about doing and achieving and gaining all these things. And the Lord is talking about the character of the person. The person that is humble, that goes around serving others and is obedient to God's word is considered great in the kingdom of heaven. May the Lord help us to apply these three principles in our lives of humility, service for others and Obedience to God's Word. You know, if you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to do great things for God, and if you want to receive great rewards in heaven, this is the way. The Lord says, straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there are that find it. When we get saved, He puts us on that straight and narrow path. It's a path of humility. It's a path of service. And it's a path of obedience. And the Lord wants us to be victorious in these areas. Well, the first thing we want to look at this morning is greatness in humility. If you'll turn in your Bibles or look at it on the screen, Matthew chapter 18, we'll read the first five verses. Greatness is in humility. You don't see that in the world today. When somebody wins a championship in sports or when someone receives an Emmy or an Oscar, or they have some tremendous achievement and they win the Pulitzer Prize or Nobel Peace Prize, you don't see humility coming forth from very many people. They're proud. I have achieved this. I have done this. But the Savior taught humility by example. Matthew chapter 18 and verses 1 to 5. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little one like this in my name receives me. 
May God bless the reading of His Word to our hearts today. You know, we can learn so much. Sometimes we look at a a verse like this and we look at the question that the disciples were asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is Why did they ask that? Why were they so proud and so forth? But, you know, I'm happy sometimes people ask questions like this because that's how we learn. Are we any better? Are we any more different from the disciples? No, we're cut from the same stock. We're dust. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And when Adam sinned, he brought sin into the whole world and we now have the sin nature. We're not any different than them. We're proud. And the process that God has to do to humble us is a painful process. I think we can all attest to it. And you never graduate in humility. You never graduate from it. You never do. Just when you think, I've arrived at humility, God says, you're not humble. You've got to be humbled. You've got to be humbled. We've all gone through it and it's hard. And God knows that we need to be humbled on a daily basis. Sometimes by the hour, sometimes by the minute, sometimes by the second. Because this old sinful nature is proud. It wants to rear up its ugly head at the most inopportune times. And the Lord says, be humble. He teaches that true greatness in the life of every Christian is in humility. And it's hard. It's a lesson in humility. And you know, whenever you learn in school, and our school teachers can tell us this, what's the best way to teach? It's to have a visual aid. It's to have an object lesson. And you get the object lesson and you show it there and you illustrate it and you show it. So what does Jesus do to teach on humility? Does he just talk to them? Does he give them a lecture and a discussion? No, he brings out a little child. And I would like to think of this little child as maybe about five or six years old. And he brings them there and he uses the object lesson and he says to them that you have to become like this little child and be converted or you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know that every person who gets saved has to humble themselves like a little child and come to Jesus? That's what happened to Don's father yesterday. He got to the point in his life where he realized that he was a sinner, that he needed the Lord. Now, it took Don's death, maybe. We don't know what it takes to save a sinner. The Lord does by the Holy Spirit. And he uses circumstances to bring people to Christ. But you have to come the same way. You have to humble yourself. It's like they say, you've got to come down off your high horse. It's true. Remember, Saul of Tarsus was on his high horse. He was riding off to Damascus with letters in hand to persecute the Christians, to arrest them and even to kill them. And all of a sudden, a light shone from heaven and he was knocked off his horse and he got saved on that road. And his life was changed. And he, from the proud, religious Pharisee that he was, Saul, he became the sweet, loving, dedicated, committed Apostle Paul. And we can just see it. And he had to be humble. And we all have to be humble. Now, if I ask you, would you like to be humble today? I don't think we'd have too many brave souls that would say, I want to be humble today. Pray for humility. Pray for patience. Because you know when you pray for humility or you pray for patience, God's going to say, okay, I'm going to bring the circumstances that are needed to make you humble, to make you patient. But the Lord knows exactly that we need to be humbled like that. Humility is a tremendous thing. And you see it in the Old Testament and you see it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, if you read the book of 1 John and we referred to it this morning, the term little children is used time and time again. 
Because when you get saved, you become a child of God. You become a babe in Christ. And God loves us so much and He wants us to grow up from being a babe in Christ. But we'll never lose the title, little children. We never will. Because God is our Heavenly Father. And He loves us. And that's why I love that movie on Friday night we saw where the little boy was rescued. He was lost. He was out there. And this whole movie was so riveted. I was turning in my seat. I was saying, oh, I hope this has a happy ending. I hope it has a good result. Because a lot of kids out there who get kidnapped or wander off, they don't come back alive. And, and they were starting to lose hope. Some of the officers, some of the people, they were saying, you know, after so many hours, if they don't find the child, they don't often find the child alive. But they had a happy ending. They found the child And every one of you who know Jesus Christ here this morning that's a child of God, you had a happy ending. And even the happier ending is when we get to heaven. The Bible teaches that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. When Don's father got saved yesterday, the angels were having a party in heaven. They were clapping, they were singing, and they were rejoicing. And that's true of any sinner who gets saved. And what a blessing it is to be a child of God. But we have to come to Him and humble ourselves. We have to be humble. The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 and verse 11, He said, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Did you ever think of this verse as a choice verse? And I mean choice as in it's our choice. But that's really what it is. Because He says if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. And that's what the people in the world do. They're exalting themselves all the time. Me, me first. I did this. I achieved that. He says, if you exalt yourself, I'm going to humble you. But if you choose the obedient path of humility, then you will be exalted. It's a spiritual principle from Old Testament into New Testament. If you humble yourself before God, He's going to exalt you. He's going to lift you up. He's going to make you a blessing. Yes, humbleness and brokenness They go together. To have a broken spirit, to have a contrite heart, to have a heart that is humble before God is a blessing. But what humility is not is it's not weakness. It's not weakness. It's not being a doormat. It's not being a milk toast. What humility is, it's strength with gentleness is really what it is. It's humbling ourselves. It's realizing that everything that I have is from God. Every accomplishment that I gain is because He gave me the opportunity to do it. And so when we think of that, how can we get proud at all? The Lord Jesus, of course, was the greatest example of humility, but another great example of humility in the Old Testament was Moses. He was a great leader of the Jews. He led them out of Egypt. He led them right up to the Promised Land, and then Joshua led them in. But it says of Moses, he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. That really challenges me. The meekest man, a strong leader, you think of him as proud and dictatorial. No, Moses was loving and kind. And yet he was strong and he took a strong stand for the Lord. I love the story of Samuel Morse. He was the one who invented the telegraph system. We still hear of it today, sometimes not too often on TV or an old movie. The Morse Code, Samuel Morse. But listen to what happened to him. One day they asked him, Mr. Morse, Have you ever encountered situations where you didn't know what to do? Morse responded, more than once. And I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. Morse received many honors from his invention of the telegraph, but felt undeserving. 
I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and He was pleased to reveal it to me. Now, is that a humble man or what? You know, many times you're drawn to people that are humble, and you see it on TV, and they've received an award, or if they won a championship or whatever, and they're humble, and they give credit to the Lord. They give credit to their teammates. They give credit to their coaches. They don't take the credit for themselves. That is what humility is all about. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest example of humility. And he brought this little child into their midst and taught them to be humble. I read kind of an amusing story of a young American girl who visited the Beethoven Museum in Bonn, Germany. She was fascinated by the piano that Beethoven composed many of his great classical works on. So she went up to the museum guard and asked if she could play a few bars on the piano. The man probably raised his eyebrows, but then she got out her wallet and she had some money and she gave him a large, lavish tip. So he said, okay, you can play the piano. So the girl went up to the piano and she sat down and she played the opening of Moonlight Sonata, which is a beautiful piece by Beethoven. As she was leaving, she said to the guard, I suppose that all the great pianists who come here want to play that piano. The guard shook his head. Paderewski, the famed Polish pianist, was here a few years ago and he said he wasn't worthy to touch it. Wow, humbleness. This girl was so proud, she says, I want to play that piano. I want to do it. And so many times in our lives we say, I want to do it, Lord. I can do it on my own. I can make it. And we get so proud and the Lord has to humble us and He wants us to be humble. Greatness, therefore, is in humility. And it's a lesson that we'll learn all our lives. Until we enter the pearly gates, He's working on us. But there's greatness in humility. Someone once said, the simplest child of God can achieve more on his knees than the greatest man of this world on his tiptoes. Think of that. The child of God who's down on his knees can achieve more than the person who's on his tiptoes striving for the things that he can achieve on his own. Everything we have is from the Lord. And what a blessing it is. So that's our first point today. Greatness is in humility. Secondly, greatness is in serving others. If you just turn over to Matthew chapter 20 and verses 25 to 28, or it's also on the screen. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25. Here we read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ where it says, But he called to himself, them to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, service doesn't come by human nature. It really doesn't. We have to learn to serve. You notice when you have a little child, they have a baby and the baby grows up. You have to teach that child, Heather, how to rebel, cry, want its own way, pout. Did you have to teach uh, Spencer that? No, he learned it on his own, didn't he? I mean, 
He didn't learn it on his own. He has it inside him. The sinful nature is in every one of us. You see it in a little child the same way as they have that old nature. And so as we grow up, and especially as we grow in our Christian life, we have to learn to serve. We have to learn to serve others. We have to learn to say serving others is better than being served. And that's what the Lord Jesus is teaching us here by the Holy Spirit. And he gives us the desire to serve. He gives us the opportunity to serve. And then he gives us the rewards for serving. And it is a blessing indeed to be a servant. You know, a lot of people when they when they're young and they're growing up and they say, what do they want to be when they grow up? And children have, I want to be a fireman. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a scientist or whatever it is. And the same is much true of when when a Christian gets saved. Oh, when I grow up in my Christian life, maybe I want to be a missionary. I want to be a preacher. I want to do this or I want to do this. I want to be a writer and I want to minister to all these people. But as you then grow up in the faith, you realize that God has a mission for you wherever you are. And you may not be a preacher. You may not be a great soloist. You may not be a great anything that people see. But you may be a prayer warrior. You may be somebody that helps and serves. And you're going to get exactly the same reward as the person who preaches or the person who sings or the person who does any great thing. Because serving others is a great thing. And it's something we have to learn. And the Lord says there's greatness in serving others. He says the great in this passage, the great people in this world, they have an influence on people and they are powerful people and they force people to comply to them and, they, and be subservient to them. And people serve them. But Jesus said, I am as your master who is before you and as I have served you, go out and serve others. Yes, a humble servant is a gracious servant. And true believers see differently than the world sees, as I said before. Someone once said, true service is love for Christ in working clothes. I really like that. True service is love for Christ in working clothes. You know, when you get saved, the Lord hands you a pair of overalls. He he hands you a toolkit like Jim. He gave us a devotion not long ago and he had all the toolkit that he uses in his job and he says, I keep these tools with me all the time and he has one that he brings all the time and it has all these tools and he can do great things with it. We as Christians are to be servants and to be ready to serve at any moment's notice. So many times he said, well, I want to serve when it's convenient to me. I want to serve if I can get up and preach. Or I want to serve if I can teach a Sunday school class. Or I want to serve if dot, dot, dot. The Lord says, let's test you out. Are you willing to do this menial task for me? Are you willing to clean the bathrooms? Are you willing to vacuum the carpets? Are you willing to take out the garbage? Are you willing to do these menial tasks? Because as I said before, God will reward us for that. And He makes us have a servant's heart to be humble and to serve Him. And that is really the blessing. James Packard, in his book about God, says the word servant in our English Bibles, English New Testament, is the word doulos, which means bond slave. He said sometimes it means dikonos, which means deacon or minister. He said this is strictly accurate for doulos and dikonos are synonymous. Both words denote a man who is not at his own disposal, but at his master, but is his master's property bought to serve his master's needs to be at his beck and call every moment. The slave's sole business is to do as he is told. 
Christian service, therefore, means first and foremost living out a slave relationship to our Savior. You know, He bought us with His own blood. The Scripture tells us we don't belong to ourselves anymore, but we've been bought with a price and therefore we're to glorify God in our body. He wants us to be servants. He wants us to be willing to serve Him. The Lord Jesus told His followers, He said, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. But you know, serving others is very difficult. If you want to serve others, you have to be willing to be stepped on, crushed, not appreciated. I mean, people will take advantage of you. They'll take advantage of the things you do for them. They'll take advantage of your kindness. Some people will not be thankful for what you do for them. They will never even say a word of thanks. People will be hard to please. You give them a nice piece of chocolate cake and they'll say, why didn't I have the vanilla ice cream on top of it? Isn't that true? When you serve other people, you find them to be demanding. And so many Christians today are sitting in the pews wanting the pastor to do all the work. And they're just going to sit back and let the pastor do it or let this person do it, let that person do it. No. Every person who is saved is called to be a servant. Everyone. We're servants in our own way that whatever God gives us, we are to serve with the ability and the talents and the gifts He's given us. We cannot sit on the sidelines and let others play. We need to get out in the game. And we need to be effective servants for the Lord. The kingdom of this world is all about getting. But the kingdom of heaven is all about giving. And that's what a servant does. A servant gives. A servant doesn't think about, well, if I give that to that person... Am I going to get anything back from it? Is he going to give me something back? No, a servant doesn't think that way. A servant gives hoping nothing for return, knowing that his reward is coming from heaven and not worrying about the things of this world. That's what a true servant is all about. And so when the Lord Jesus talks about service, he gives them an example, again, an object lesson that they can understand. He uses himself as the example. Notice in verse 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the primary example, the ultimate example of a servant. Humble, sacrificial, giving, that's the way the Lord Jesus was. And our brother was sharing today in the, in, the, in the Scripture memory, we were talking about gentleness and he was mentioning how the Lord Jesus Christ in the upper room, there he was with all the disciples, there they were, and he got a basin of water, he took a towel, and he got down on his hands and knees and washed every one of the feet of those disciples. Can you imagine that? And they, used to, they didn't just wear Nikes or closed in uh, wingtip shoes like we have, they were wearing sandals and their feet got really, really dirty. So the task of a slave was to wash the feet of the people. Jesus got down like a slave and washed their feet. Amazing. What humility He had. What service He had. And when you're a servant, you don't care who gets the credit. You don't care who gets the glory, except you want the Lord to get all the glory. You just want to serve the Master. Because when you think, what did Jesus do for us? He went to the cross. He died for us. He didn't come to please Himself. He didn't come to serve Himself. He came for our needs, for our benefit. And if He was willing to sacrifice everything for us, shouldn't we be willing to sacrifice everything for Him? And to serve His people? And to serve the needs of those around us? 
Yes, as servants, we have to be willing to do whatever He asks us to do, whenever He asks us to do it, and give Him all the glory. So there's greatness in humility, even though the world doesn't see it. And there's greatness in serving others, even though the world doesn't understand it. And third, there is great greatness in obedience to God. You know, the Lord Jesus taught it very well here that there is greatness in humility. And if you would turn over in your Bibles to a verse in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And verses 17 to 20 talks about obedience. Here the Lord Jesus is giving them the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll notice that every one of these words in your Bibles that have red letter edition, you'll see it in red because these are the words of Jesus and they're important words. Matthew 5, 17 to 20 says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. And the jot and the tittle were the smallest letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And then he says in verse 19, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, there's greatness in obedience to God's Word. And you know, when you have the Bible, you cannot selectively choose, well, I want to obey this commandment, but I don't want to obey this one, because this one's too hard. This one's too hard. I'll do this one, Lord, but I won't. No, you have to accept the Word of God as His inerrant Word. His inspired Word by the Holy Spirit. Every word of it. That's why when I read the Bible, I read every word. Sometimes they say, well, you know, you're reading those genealogies. Doesn't it get kind of dry? And you're reading, this one begat this one and this one did. You know, if God put that in the Scripture, there must be a reason for it. And I always look for the little nuggets of truth that you find in those genealogies and throughout the Scripture. That's why we should read every single Word of God because it's good for our soul. And we need to obey everything He tells us to do. In the Old Testament, the book of Ezra was such a blessing because he, Ezra the scribe and the priest, he came back to Jerusalem and they were going to rebuild the temple. And he was instrumental in the rebuilding of the temple and also of the walls and, and carrying on the work there. And it says of Ezra in Ezra 7.10, it said, For Ezra prepared his heart to seek or to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. I like that because here is a man named Ezra. He wasn't proud. He was a humble man. He knew the Word of God better than anybody else, but he humbly obeyed it and he taught it to others. He didn't say, do as I say. He said, do as I do. You know, we always respect people, whether a parent, a teacher, or a friend who not only tells you what to do, but shows you how to do it and does it himself or herself. We respect people like that. And that's why Ezra was such a great man. Now, conversely, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they were hypocrites. They preached a good sermon, but they didn't live it. They taught the people very well, 
They were very knowledgeable of the Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't practice it. And that's why the Lord Jesus had some very strong words for the Pharisees. And some of the strong words he had were in Matthew chapter 23 and verses 3 and 4. The Lord Jesus said, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but not according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, the Pharisee would tell you what to do. He'd give you all the instruction, but he, with one his little finger, he wouldn't lift a little finger to help you or a little finger to do it himself. You do it. I am the Pharisee. I wear the robes. I'm called rabbi. I go out among the people. I don't lower myself to do that kind of work. That's for a slave to do. That's for others to do. And the Lord Jesus taught the exact opposite. The greater you are, the more you're going to be humble, the more you're going to be a servant, and the more you're going to be obedient to the whole Word of God. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. You know, when we obey God, He takes care of the rest. You know, Charles Stanley, every message he gives, and I love to watch him on Sunday morning while I'm getting ready for church, he always concludes his sermon with these words, Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. And that is really true. Because when we do that, God will bless our lives. I don't know if you've heard of Roger Staubach. He was a famous quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys back in the 70s and 80s. And his coach was Tom Landry. And both of them were Christians. Well, Tom Landry led the Dallas Cowboys to the World Championship in 1971. And he admitted that his position as quarterback of not calling his own signals, not calling his own plays, was a great source of trial for him. Coach Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass. He told Roger when to run. And he told Roger that only in emergency situations would you be able to change the play. And you better be right. And you know, Tom Landry was this famous coach. He used to stalk the sidelines and he had that famous hat on always dressed in a sport coat with a, you know, a nice tie on. And, but he was tough. And when he looked at you, you knew you better do it. Well, even though Roger Staubach considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, he said pride said he should be able to run his own team. Roger later said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony. Fulfillment and victory. Amazingly, as I said, both Tom Landry and Roger Staubach were both Christians and they learned to work together as coach and quarterback and team and they won the championship. As long as Roger was proud and say, why can't I call my own plays? It used to be the quarterback always called his own plays. Tom Landry, though, wanted all the control so he could make sure the right play was called. Nowadays, if you watch the NFL, they've got helmets on. And there's a microphone in the helmet and the coach is calling the play on the sideline and all the quarterback does is he hears the play and he calls the play. It's amazing. Only Peyton Manning can get up to the line of scrimmage and change the play. And his coach says, I'm fine with that because you're Peyton Manning. But obedience is what we have to do. We have to know that if the Lord says it's time to pass, it's time to pass. If it's time to run, it's time to run. Doesn't he know better than we do? And yet so many times we want our own way and we have to humble ourselves. We have to say, Lord, I'm going to obey you. Sometimes I don't understand it. Sometimes I don't know why you're asking me to do this, Lord, why you're putting me through this. But if I obey him 100 percent all the way, 
He will bless us. And that's why Jesus said, he who does and teaches these principles of the word of God shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So to sum up then, greatness in the kingdom is totally different than greatness in the world. In the world, they say you've got to have strength. You've got to be powerful. You've got to have fame. You've got to have fortune. You've got to have riches. You've got to have all these things to be great. And then you've got to keep that greatness all the way through. But Jesus says the way to greatness is through humility, through serving others and being obedient to the Word of God. Totally different than the world. May the Lord help us to be humble, willing servants who say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it humbly. I'm going to give you the credit and I'm not going to take any credit for my own self. Serving others is not easy, as I said, but God gives grace to us. And obedience to the Word of God sometimes goes against our nature. It rubs us sometimes the wrong way. The Lord asks us to obey in something. But when we do it, He gives us such grace and He makes the results always turn out to be great. In conclusion, I just want to share a quote that I found that is such a blessing and I'll read it twice. It says, The beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less. And the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. Let me read that again because this stopped me right in my track. The beginning of greatness is to be little. That's when you start off. To be little. To be little in your own eyes. That's what Saul did. He was little in his own eyes in the beginning. He was humble. But then Saul in the Old Testament, I'm talking King Saul. And then he got proud. The increase in greatness is to be less. Even less than little. And when you get to the perfection of greatness, and we never will get there until we get to heaven, but when you have the perfection of greatness, you realize, Lord, I am nothing. I know nothing. I am nothing. I'm nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are nothing. We need Him for everything. May the Lord help us to realize that true greatness is in humility, true greatness is in serving, and true greatness is in obeying the Word of God. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We pray that You'll help us to be humble, Lord. And we know that when we pray for this, it's going to be a process that You are going to humble us. And we pray that You will help us to be willing servants, willing to serve others, Lord, even no matter how menial it might be. Help us to have the heart of servants to give everything and to serve in every way we can. And help us, Lord, to be obedient to Your Word so that we can then share it with others. Help us, Lord, not to be hypocrites, where we say we believe something, we say we are following it, what we really aren't. Help us to be honest and sincere and be obedient Christians, Lord. So we thank you now for this day and pray you'll take us home safely in Jesus' precious name.